It's in an interesting place, don't we? We're at the start of a week that's been set aside to focus on our worship to God, and yet we're finding ourselves at the same time in the midst of a revival from God. So I'm doing the math here and saying, what do we do with this, Lord? And he said, why don't you put them together? So let's talk about a revival in our worship. What do you think? Fair? All right. And we'll go in that direction. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I say things like that. Blessed be the name of the Lord because the Bible does, and my heart just keeps saying it. Blessed be, blessed be, blessed be. Like an echo inside of my body. All right. Well, well, first of all, let's talk about revival just for a minute because this this is a worship emphasis week, so we're going to emphasize worship. But what in the world is revival? And what does it mean to be revived? What does that really boil down to? What is that all about? What is revival? What does it mean to be revival? The Latin root for revive means to live. I won't try to pronounce the Latin because you just laugh. I laughed when I tried it, so I just took it out of my notes. But the Latin root for revive means to live. And if you add the prefix re at the beginning of it, it means revive means to live again. To live again, to put life and energy where it needs to be put. Revive also means, the word revive also means to restore, to bring something back to what it was, to bring something back to what it was intended to be, to return it to something, to what it used to be. A wilted plant can be revived by water. A wilted human being can be revived by Jesus Christ. And so he comes and he brings himself to us. Revival, essentially, to switch analogies, a revival does for a person what a good tune-up does for your car. Mechanic gets in there, pops open the hood, and he restores. And this is what God does in us. In revival, he comes and he restores and he helps, if you will, this heart engine inside of me to be brought back, and he, um, the Spirit of the Lord comes and he brings revival. He helps us to do a very significant and important part of revival, but it's work, and it's called repentance. It's an important piece of what it means to be revived and to experience revival. So he comes, and he comes to this sluggish heart engine inside of this body, and by the blood of Jesus... He begins to wash and cleanse me again so that this heart, this life, this body can operate as it was intended to do all along. And he comes and he does that. And then, this is a really cool picture, that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God comes and he, like, like he attaches jumper cables. Who knows what jumper cables are? We don't use them like we used to, but I still got them in my trunk. But you put those things on a dead battery, and then you, you know, supercharge and come in. That's what he does. The Spirit of the Lord comes in revival, and he attaches jumper cables to this heart. This like, boom, boom, boom. It's dying. It needs life. It needs to be revived. And he comes, and he just says, no problem. And he attaches them positive, negative, puts it all in there. And then like, and then out of him, flowing through those cables, if you will, is this indestructible life, this eternal life of God that always has been and never cannot be because God is like that. And he just supercharges our life. It's part of revival. Repentance is part of it. But then he comes and he tunes us up and he brings in the life revive, to live, and to live again. He brings us back. He restores us to what we were intended to be. 
Now, before we move on to worship, because we have to talk about worship, let me say one more thing about revival just by way of counsel or advice, but certainly things that I've lived through. If you've ever witnessed a move of God anywhere else, whether it was some other church, some other place, or maybe you've witnessed it in the past, 20, 30, whatever years ago, you need to hear me. Because what God is doing now may look different from what he was doing and what he did before, what he did somewhere else and what he's doing um, at a different time in history. Somebody said this, and it was wisely said and needs to be taken in. If we're not careful, the cornerstone of one move of God can become the tombstone of the next move of God. How is it possible? Church, we cannot kill. We cannot quench. We, cannot, we have to be careful that we don't put expectations on what God is going to do and what it's going to look like. Because we have thoughts about it. We've experienced things in God. But you can't put God in a box and say he has to come and it has to be like this. And if it's not like this, then it can't be God. Because you know that God is too big for any box you try to put him in. All right. So that's not the issue. Having said that, I also need to say this. It doesn't mean that one generation cannot learn from the previous generations about what God acts like and how God moves and how he has moved in the past. There's obviously wisdom to be learned by observing and listening to our elders, but let me tell you, all of us, young and old alike, whether we've experienced any kind of a move of God before or not, all of us, whatever God's doing at Asbury and now just popping up like popcorn all over the world, what God is doing, we need to discern it. We need to understand what he wants to do now in 2023 and beyond. I don't know how long this is going to go, but I think that he's in the process of getting repentance in. The blood of Jesus is moving. The jumper cables are coming out. Lives are being touched, supercharged and changed because God is in the house and things are being done. Things are being changed because God is coming. A prophetic word that I, I, I just need to share with you, which probably nobody here, was, nobody here was here when it was given, probably, I don't know, 25 years ago. The Lord spoke through our then president, Brother Paul Johansson, and he said to this college, you are to protect the integrity of the wine. I, the Lord, will determine what the wineskin is going to look like. Listen to that again. God said to us, to this college, you are to protect the integrity of the wine. I, the Lord, will determine what the wine skin is going to look like. That's what we want. We want the wine. We want, the new, we want that move of God. We want that new wine, that fresh wine, the thing that God is doing. He said, you protect it. You protect the integrity. When I move... You protect the integrity of what I'm doing among you. But he said, let me as the Lord determine for you what it's going to look like, well, how it's going to be shaped, how it's going to come. We need revival in our worship, and that's what I want to talk about most of all today is exactly that. For the sake of communicating something to you that I feel is from God, I want to give you, I don't have a handout, I don't even have a slide. Imagine me, so old school. Just incredible. But I want to give you three aspects of what I feel are important and easy to remember because they all start with R-E. You ready for this? Okay. Three aspects of revival in our worship. Repent, reveal, and return. Repent, reveal, and return. Number one, 
repent, we have to understand exactly what the Bible means when it says to us and it tells us to repent. Sometimes we feel like, well, repentance is just saying, I'm sorry. Or I have regret in my heart that I did something. And it is that. There is emotion involved in repentance. There is sorrow. There's a godly sorrow. But the word repent, as Jesus used it, is much deeper than that. And it comes from a Hebrew word, teshuva, brother Ramon, teshuva, I'm saying that correctly, which also means, apart from the emotion involved and the sorrow involved in repentance, it means to return, it means to come back from something that you've strayed away from. Come back to something that you've strayed away from. So there is emotion, but there is action involved. Now, Jonathan Edwards, you probably heard the name because it's been popping up since February 8th when this whole Asbury revival started. But I've heard, heard it several times in YouTubes and, and news broadcasts and whatnot. But Jonathan Edwards, 1741, wrote a book called The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. This is the, the book title, The Distinguishing Marks of a Work of the Spirit of God. And in this little book, he listed several scriptural marks, evidences, that would mark a work as being born of the Holy Spirit, that you can tell if what's happening among us is born of God or not. It's by the Holy Spirit or not. He says there are five. He gave us five. I'm going to give you the first one because it's number one, and it's this. The evidence, the first one, that you can know that something is of the Holy Spirit is Jesus Christ is exalted. If you don't see that, you've got reason to question the source of what you call revival. But when I start, when I've gone online, my wife and I have gone on and looked, watched Asbury and watched different places and comments about this and that, and I just keep seeing the name of Jesus. That's why I want to speak the name of Jesus, sing the name of Jesus, because it's like it is so amazingly precious. So, number one evidence, the Holy Spirit says, exalted Jesus. And really, God the Father did this. God the Father agrees with this, if you will, because he declared over 2,000 years ago in Philippians 2, he directed our attention to his beloved Son. And he said, he established Jesus as the rightful recipient of, of the worship of the entire universe. Listen to what Philippians 2 says. God has exalted Jesus and lifted him to the place of highest honor above everything else, and he gave him the name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess and openly acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, what does it have to do with worship? It is absolutely essential that we apply, if you will, the force of that truth must be applied to the worship of the church of Jesus Christ. We need to understand what God feels about his son, how God feels about his son, and where he has placed his son, and it is at the center of everything. We sing about it, Jesus be the center. God has already established him as the center. Now, we're talking about repentance here as the first step in our revival, in our worship. So in order to have this revival in our worship, there are some things we need to look at in our worship and repent of, as God leads us, and change. 
Remember, teshuva, it's not just feeling bad, feeling sorry, oh, oops, that was wrong, but it's doing something about it when you know that it's wrong. There's more than just the emotion. There's the action involved with it as well. Three things I'm, I'm going to offer to you in terms of areas that we could look at and should look at regarding our worship when it comes to revival. Number one, we've got to take a hard look at who we are singing about and who we are singing to in our worship. We've got to look at the lyrics. We've got to look at, is Jesus Christ the center? Is he the one, ultimately, that's being exalted in our worship? And this is the courageous part now, because if he's not, if you find doing an honest analysis of your worship, whether it's personal or corporate, if that's not true, that Jesus is not at the center, you need to repent You need to change it. You need to feel sorry for that and say, God, I got off track somewhere back along the line, and I'm doing something about it to change that. I want to bring it back, something that I've strayed away from, because obviously Philippians 2 hasn't changed. Obviously the heart of God hasn't changed toward what worship is to be, and God has set his son as the rightful recipient of the worship of the entire universe, and he hasn't changed his mind. And if I've strayed from that, I need to get back. Take a look at who we're singing about and who we're singing to. Secondly, we need also to be aware of the attitudes. I just got personal, didn't I? The attitudes that we have during worship, as we worship, that don't perhaps honor the Lord. Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Jesus said, actually quoting from Isaiah 29, he said, this people honors me with their lips. But their heart is far away from me. They're honoring me, all right? They're saying the right things. They're singing beautiful songs. But their heart, the source, is far away from me. Is that an attitude we have to look at? Are we viewing worship as a performance-based concert? Are we worshiping worship, the very act of worship? Are we worshiping the YouTube celebrities that lead it for us and teach us. I have no problem with the Internet and YouTube people. It's just that where's your attitude? Where's our heart at in worship? Is there something that God would like to speak to us about? Tozer, A.W. Tozer said this, Worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. That's worth the air it takes and the time it takes to say it a second time. Mr. A.W. Tozer, back in the 60s, said, Worship is no longer worship when it reflects the culture around us more than the Christ within us. Number three, we need to look at the theological content of the songs that we sing. We can't just swallow something hook, line, and sinker because it's on the Internet. We've got to exercise discernment and say, Lord, is this honoring God? Is this intentionally exalting Jesus Christ? If not, I think repentance is involved. Somehow, in some way that we say, Lord, I got a little bit off track. Bring me back. I'm gonna, I've, I've strayed away from something that I should never have strayed away from. I think it would be fine. I didn't ask uh, Sarah to put this up, but I think it would, would be good again to in fact, can you find Matt Redman's The Heart of Worship? At some point. We're going to sing it at the end if I have time. Um, it would be helpful again to look at these words. I use this 
the, um, the lyrics to the Heart of Worship far more as a, as a teaching tool than I do a worship song, although it's great for both. See if you can say it with me. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. There it is. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I've made it. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. See, there's that Jonathan Edwards, number one, Mark, evidence of the presence of God in a revival, in a certain work of the Spirit. It's all about you. We're coming back. I'm coming back. There is teshuva right there. There is repentance because he's saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the thing that I made it. I got off track. I'm singing about this and that. I'm sorry for the thing that I made it. It's all about you. But he also said, I'm coming back. There's the emotion and there's the action. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm repenting in my worship of my worship, I'm, I'm repenting of things that I have allowed to, to come. So I'm coming back. I'm taking steps. I'm moving in a certain direction to come back to the heart, to come back to the center. Number two, revival in our worship, not only is it involving repenting, re, re, repenting and repentance, but secondly, reveal. Repentance and reveal, a revelation. God, in guiding us, in reviving us in our worship, the Father sent the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus Christ to us. Sister Sylvia, is she here today? Sister Sylvia? I don't see her. Okay. She said this several years ago. The only thing that produces true worship is a greater revelation of God himself. Worship is not an exercise. Worship is an expression of adoration toward one who is greater than you are. And when you see that one greater than you, then you worship. Not until you see him do you truly worship. Listen to this. Real worship takes place only where he is revealed. We cannot initiate worship. We can stand to our feet, breathe in, we can clap, we can sing, but worship happens when God initiates it and we respond to it. If a revival is from God, the Holy Spirit is going to be actively helping us to see the Son of God and to exalt Him. And can I say it this way? It is the joyful work of the Holy Spirit to take the things of Jesus and to reveal them to us. Look what Jesus said in John 14. Whoever loves me, he said, will be loved by my Father. And I, too, will love him. And I will show myself, in that word in the Greek, I will reveal, I will declare, I will manifest, I will unveil, I will let you see who I am. I will let myself be clearly seen by him. I will make myself real to him. To who? He said, whoever loves me, I will reveal myself. Do you love him? An aspect of revival and revival in our worship is that in worship, God comes and reveals himself to us. He has to do that because only when he reveals himself can I worship. This is the, this is the, this is the, 
the takeaway from this sermon right here. If nothing else, you need to realize this. This is the one statement, all right? Worship is our response to the revelation of God. That's it. Worth writing down. Worship is our response to the revelation of God. God has to start it. God has to come. He opens up our eyes to see it. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. And when I see him, that response that I give is called worship. Look at Moses in Exodus 34. God came to him and said, all right, Moses, Mo, stand over there. And he said, and he revealed his nature, his name. He said, the Lord God, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, abounding in truth. And he revealed himself. And Moses in verse 8 did a face plant on the ground. The revelation came from God. Moses responded to that revelation. The response was called worship. He fell to the ground and he worshiped. New Testament, Matthew 16, Peter. There's Jesus asking them this amazing question. Who do you guys say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, spontaneous Peter, jumps up. Yeah, but he jumped up with a revelation. He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And what did Jesus say? Not only are you right, Peter, but you didn't learn that in Sunday school class. He said, there's no flesh and blood didn't teach you that. That wasn't something that people could teach you. It's impossible for them to have taught you. That came as a revelation to you. What you just said, Peter, came as a revelation to you by my Father in heaven. When the, when the, the Holy Spirit... When the Holy Spirit comes in revival, in our worship, he makes, and I trust you were even sensing it this morning as you've, as you've sensed it before, but when he comes, he makes Jesus Christ exceedingly precious to us. Is that accurate? Is that in your heart? Like It's like, I loved him before, but something about this clearing out this tune-up, this, this jumper cables, this, this touch of God in my life. It's fresh. It's new. And I, he's, he's precious to me. 1 Peter 2, verse 7. 1 Peter 2, 7. To you who believe, Peter said, he's precious. Jesus Christ is precious. And that's what happens in revival, is that in our eyes, the estimation of his worth increases and it grows. He's lovely. He's the fairest among 10,000. He's precious beyond my ability to even comprehend that. Which really, joy, it, 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 it makes sense if you understand the old English with the new English. We have a word in our new English. It's called worship. But worship, as we say it today, actually came from the old English, which is worth-ship. Worth, W-O-R-T-H, worth-ship. Which forever defines for me at least one thing that should be happening during a time of worship is when I am attempting to declare back to God something of how he, what he is worth to me. We used to sing a song years ago, short and sweet, and I loved it, and I still know it. Lord, you are more precious than silver. Lord, you are more costly than gold. Lord, you are more beautiful than diamonds, and nothing that I desire compares with you. That was all there was to it. No bridge, no second verse, just that. Lord, you are more precious. That's what happens in a time of revival. The Holy Spirit comes, and we see him like we've never seen him before. He's precious in our eyes. Let me give you the third point, return. We talked about repent, reveal, 
Number three is return. These are aspects that I'm offering to you as God reviving us in our worship. Let me read to you from Matthew 17. Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. Jesus' appearance was was transformed, so his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. And I love Peter. Here he comes again, popping right up. says, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. I mean, this is like the coolest thing ever. It's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, this is Peter, I'll make you three temples, three tabernacles, three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as you spoke, what happened? A voice came. The bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly beloved son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified. They fell, on, they fell face down on the ground. Jesus came and touched them and said, Get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone. They saw only Jesus. And verse 9 says, And they went back down to the valley. Repentance is an important piece of revival and revival of our worship. And so is a revelation from God. But we need to return. Number three. Look at it from the viewpoint of Peter who wanted to stay in that wonderful place. Really, if you understand what was going on, talk about the presence of God. Talk about the glory of God. Who wouldn't want to be in that place? But Jesus said, this is good. Now we're going back down. We're going back down to the people who need a touch of what you have been received on the mountaintop. They're not up here, but they need what you received in your revival in this time. So Micah tells it to us like this. What should I, I love this guy's passion. He said, what should I bring, Matthew, uh, Micah chapter 6, what should I bring with me when I go to worship the Lord? What does God want in my worship? Should I offer, um, what should I offer the God of heaven when I bow down to him? Should I take burnt offerings to him? Should I sacrifice calves that are a year old? Will the Lord be pleased if I bring him thousands of sheep, now watch this, or 10,000 rivers of olive oil? That's a lot of olive oil. If you take the most significant Old Testament offering, like you offer an, an, like an entire bull or an entire ram, it would take about a gallon to a gallon of half of olive oil. One hin, H-I-N, is the biblical word. That's all it would take. And here's Micah saying, all right, God, you want, you want to, I, I give you, I'll give you 10,000 rivers. I'll give you whatever you want. Why? Because in his heart, he just wanted God. He wanted to be close to him. He wanted to please him. I will, I, God, I just, I just love you. And he had passion in him. Peter had passion in him. You know, I just want to be here with you. Micah, I just, I don't care. I will bring it because I love you and I want to in my worship. I want to do that for you. And I love his passion. God loved Micah's passion. And he understood his passion. And he said, Micah, let me tell you what I want your worship to look like. And can I say it to you today as well? What does the Lord require of you? God's not requiring 10,000 rivers of olive oil. He's not requiring thousands of sheep. He's not requiring you to stay up on the mountain here with Moses and Elijah. What he wants is to send you back down to the valley. What does the Lord require of you? Very simple. To do justice. To love mercy. 
and to walk humbly with your God. That was a horizontal dimension, how you treat people, the compassion, the care that you have in your fairness, in your dealings, your loyalty, in your love, humility in the sight of God. God says, that's what I want your worship to look like. Not only is it just in a little Jesus bubble or something here in the tabernacle, and then you walk out of here and you're a different person. Come on, how are you going to act in the lunchroom in just a few more minutes? Who are you going to sit with? Maybe God will tell you to sit with somebody else than who you normally sit with because you're feeling the compassion having been in the house of God, in the presence of God. He may have you taking your worship down to the valley, out of here. And yet the reflection of what you did in here, felt in here, learned in here, it doesn't end when you walk out the double doors. It continues on into a lifestyle of worship. If our worship is revived by the Holy Spirit, it's going to affect our whole life. It's going to touch our family. It's going to touch, it's, it's, it'll affect how we pay our taxes. It's going to affect how you drive your car. It's going to affect how you tip the waitress. You're going to find yourself loving, desiring to love the unlovely. And helping those who are in need. Listen to what James 1.27 says. Real, true religion or real, true revival from God. The Father's perspective is this. To care for the widows and the orphans. The people that don't have it but need it. Listen, if our worship is truly revived by the Spirit of God, it will express itself in being kind to people. Forgiving freely, affecting what we watch on our screens. Our neighbors will be affected. The checkout girl at Dollar General is going to know it. The guy who pumps your gas is going to know it. They'll be touched by the love that God has for them and touched by the love that you have for them. You can't keep it. You don't want to keep it in a building, in a location, in a seminary. You want to take it down to the valley. You want to take it out of here. He's put the jumper cables on your life for a purpose. He does want to clean and wash you and get you to that place. But the fact is, he wants you to take it out of here. So yes, worship with every ounce of strength and passion that you have. Spirit, soul, and body. Flat out, give it to him. Give it to Jesus. Worship until you can't even stand up anymore. John Wesley said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles around to watch you burn. Do it. Do it. And having done that, take your passion and take the love you have from God wherever you go. Take your passion for God with a compassion from God. And you've got a combination that's going to change this world. John 13, and I end with this, love one another. In the same way I've loved you, you love one another. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples, when they see the love you have for each other. Sarah, would you put those words up again? The heart of worship. Can we stand together? Repentance 
reveal a revelation necessary, necessary. You can't worship unless God opens up your eyes. And thirdly, to return back to the state, back to the original place that God intended you to live in by the help, by the strength of God, but sending you back down to the valley till it comes out of here and reaches out like spokes on a bicycle wheel, touching, touching people everywhere, everywhere with the love of God. Sing this with me. We don't need an instrument. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my heart and i'm coming back to the heart of worship and it's all about you it's all about you jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Father, these are things that we've been investigating briefly, that apart from your Holy Spirit, they'll just be words that bounce around in our brain for about 15 seconds, and then they're gone. But as you help us to walk through the stages, not just now, but in the days, weeks, years ahead of repentance and trusting you for an ongoing revelation of the Son of God, birthing that among us, and then allowing us to understand the importance of returning, to repent, to reveal, and to return and bring back and bring to others that which you have birthed in us during this season, during this revival, and even this revival to our worship. We will give you the honor. We'll give you the, play, the uh, praise, the, the glory. It all belongs to you, Lord. We sang about it. We give you all of who we are today with thanksgiving. Now take us out of here, Lord, but affect us and keep affecting us until we are permanently changed. Jumpstart us by your Holy Spirit. Ignite us. Bring us back to that place that, that person that we were intended to be when you first made us and conceived us in our mother's womb. God, we want to be all that you've called us to be. I thank you for your move. I thank you for the worship of your people and pray you bless them as they go. Bless their food as they eat it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.